0: presentation. We're so glad that you're here and here at Fullness we uh, believe in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and at the same time we fully believe in God's truth as proclaimed in his word and through the person of Jesus Christ the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and so we embrace fully those two aspects of the life of God in our midst and we pray that you've already been blessed this morning um, as we've as we've celebrated both advent and christmas and the gifts of the spirit and we're covering it all covering it all today take your bibles turn to luke chapter 2 very 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 familiar passage here at uh, this time of year and hopefully we'll we'll look at it with with fresh eyes again this morning as i pray we always do with the word of god so that the power of the spirit will uh, direct our lives and our hearts as we look at it We are in a series during our Advent time on what we are calling the Songs of Christmas. The Songs of Christmas, there are four different poetic passages in Luke 1 and 2 that are traditionally known as Songs of Christmas. They're not songs, it never says in the Word of God, chapter 1 or 2, that they were sung. It always says they were said, but they're said in such a poetic, hymn-like fashion that over Now, the last 2,000 years, we have traditionally assigned to them the title of a song, and there are four different ones, and we've looked at a couple of them already, and by the way, they're traditionally known uh, by the first word or two words of the Latin text from which they are translated. Remember, the New Testament was written in Greek, but the third, fourth century it was translated by Jerome into Latin. And the first words of the song become known as, that becomes the title of the song. So the Song of Mary, which we looked at last week, is the Magnificat. The Song of Zechariah is the Benedictus. We've already looked at that one as well. Uh, Today we're going to look at the Song of the Angels, Gloria. And then next week, uh, the Song of Simeon, uh, the Nunctimitis. So these four songs, so to speak, in Luke one and two, kind of make up the songs of Christmas, and I'm having a great time uh, speaking on these, and hopefully you're having a, you're enjoying it as much as I am as we look at the Word of God uh, together. Uh, some twenty-seven years ago, uh, in a galaxy far, far away, <laughs> actually it wasn't that far; it was only about three miles from here. Um, I was a minister of music at a sister church in our, in our city, and uh, I, I was leading music in that church, and we put together a Christmas program. I put together a Christmas program that uh, we hired people from the Birmingham Symphony to come in, the brass players and uh, some other, and, and we did two settings of the text we're going to look at this morning. Uh, one of them is a very, very famous uh, piece from the Baroque era. Uh, if I, it's like speaking in tongues I know to some um, but the Broke Era goes from 1600 to 1750 and one of the most famous settings of this text is by Antonio Vivaldi and it goes something like this If you ever went to music school, you did this somewhere at some point. If you're gonna listen to some great Christmas music, I would recommend Vivaldi's Gloria. And then I pulled, I, I did a 20th century setting of the same text by a British composer named John Rutter. This could be one of my favorite settings of music of all time. I must say so, I thought it was spectacular. Uh, it was a great morning of worship of these two different settings of the text, Gloria. By far and away, the setting of this text is the most commonly set to music. Uh, over the last 2,000 years, uh, it, it, the text of Gloria is included in the ordinary of the Mass. So throughout history, when the Mass has been set to music, then uh, Gloria, that's has been set, and separately as well. I want to re- read this familiar account, and then I want to look back at it together. And I know, again, this is a passage we read at least every year, if not several times a year. And so I'm asking that the Spirit of God would give us, again, fresh eyes as we look at this, at this setting today. So looking at Luke 2, verses 8 and following, it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's look at three aspects of this. First is the shepherds. For the shepherds, there were in the, it says, in the same, uh, out in the fields, nearby. By nearby, they mean really nearby, um, keeping watch over their flocks by night. We were recently in Israel. I've told this story, if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, on how we ended up in Bethlehem. It's worth the telling or listening, I guess. I'll tell it again if you want. I think it's a great story. But um, we ended up in Bethlehem, and as we are going to, I can't, remember which of the locations, we pass by the shepherd's field, as it's called. There's a statue to the shepherds and some sheep, and then right next to it, and it's really in the middle of the city. It's not like, you know, I always think the shepherd's field, well, it had to be out of ways, right? I mean, it couldn't be a half mile from where the traditional birthplace of Christ is, and it's just a It's kind of like an open-air area right in the middle of city. Uh, Technically, it's not in Bethlehem. It's in the next little suburb, but it's right there. And so the shepherds were out in their fields nearby, and nearby meant nearby, keeping watch over their flock. Now, today we, uh, we think of the shepherds in kind of a High regard because the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, and we put on all our Christmas cards. Our many of our Christmas cards we have shepherds, and uh, I got some glittery shepherds this week in the mail. Um, so, by the way, I, I'm with Brad Crawford on this. You you don't have to get Christmas cards with glitter on it anymore. Uh, just send out nice Christmas cards, and, and just personally, I'm getting old crotchety so just go with it anyway we put shepherds on our cards and there's shepherds all around and but in this day and age in the day of jesus the shepherds were not as you've heard held held in high regard there are a couple of things about them they were not trusted as witnesses in court because they were known as liars and thieves Uh, they made up the lowest class of people coming in right ahead of lepers so if you're the next group up from lepers, you know, you, you, it's not like you're going to be uh, on the party list of anybody. Uh, they were not able to keep the ceremonial aspects of the law. They lived out in the fields away from society, and most of them were outcasts. And yet it's to the shepherds that the angels first proclaimed the message of Jesus' birth. And over the years, people have questioned, why, why the shepherds? Why are the shepherds the ones to, to hear? Well, we can only speculate, and I've heard sermons on all of these kind of ideas about the shepherds. Maybe it was because uh, David was a shepherd and Jesus is born in the line of David as a king. Uh, because we're all sheep without a shepherd. Because Jesus is the good shepherd. Maybe because that at the end of his life, Uh, Jesus is going to lay his life down like a sheep. He's going to become the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As a matter of fact, it's been speculated that these shepherds oversaw the sheep that were then used for the temple sacrificial system so that the angels appeared to them and their sheep first because it's going to circle back around to where Jesus is going to take the place. of. All of those are true, and all of those are are possibilities and just as good as others, but maybe it's because the shepherds would listen. Maybe it's because they were available to hear. They definitely represent the marginalized. Uh, It is remarkable that the first message that Christ comes is not to the religious leaders, it's not to the intelligentsia, It's not to the politically powerful. It is to one of the lowest rungs of class of people. To me, this is going to indicate that uh, the gospel is a good news which is for everyone. Here's a group of guys who would hear. Here's a group of guys who are outcast. We... Even today, we tend to at times think that the gospel, the good news, the message of Jesus Christ is for the beautiful people. And I would say that Christmas, especially this account, if anything, indicates that the good news is for everyone, especially, especially the marginalized, the outcast. The message comes to nobodies. And I believe one of the reasons it comes to nobodies is because it is actually nobodies who can move the world. When God gets a hold of their lives, our lives, our nobody lives, and transforms us, and the power of God gets in us, and we go out and tell people what has happened to us, people are really amazed. Because we have nothing else in and of our, ourselves. Angels may be metaphorical, but I think angels sing to people who will listen. And the people who already know everything, they're not really in the mood to listen. They don't open up their hearts. It's hard to tell a know-it-all anything. Because they already know it all. Only the broken and needy are the ones that I think hear the song. Then There are the singers, the singers, the angels. An angel of the Lord, one angel, an angel, appears to them. Glory of the Lord shone around him, and they were terrified. Talking about the shepherds. And the angel said to them, "'Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord.'" This will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So one angel appears and gives them this message. Now, this message, by the way, is not the song. This is the message leading into uh, the song. But this message is, is really important. Let me just give you a couple of side thoughts here about angels. Because in certain circles today, angels are... I read a couple of articles about angelic visitations in certain settings and things that happen. And again, I I, I am for angels. I am pro angel. Let me just say that. I am for angels. But for those of you who think that one day you're going to die and get a harp and float on a cloud and get some wings and you're going to become an angel, it ain't happening. It's not happening. Angels are created beings. I had a conversation this week with someone uh, trying to figure out have all the angels been created that God will ever create? Um, In other words, is there a limit Uh, or can God make more? They're they're created beings by God, that, that we know. But surrounding them, there's a lot we don't know. They are messengers. By the way, your spouse is a wonderful person, but they are not an angel. Of course, my wife never, has never said that about me, but um, the purpose of angels is to serve in the stead of God. They represent Him, they bring a message from Him. So when, when they're warring, they're warring on behalf of God. When they give a message, they're giving it on behalf of God. Uh, When an angel appears to the shepherds and says, here's the message, It, it is if from the throne room of heaven to the angels, this message comes. So when people, you read articles and there seems to be a doubt about what the angel is doing, I would question the article. I would question the message. I would question because... They're not acting on their own. They're acting as a representative, a direct representative of of God. They are coming to speak. Why use angels? Why use them? I I think it's very attention-getting to use an angel. And the shepherds I mean, think about it. In the dark of the night, an angel appears. The glory of the Lord shone round about him. them, it says, but, and, the, and the shepherds. And suddenly they got their attention. I've told this story before, but at some point, like five or six years into the existence of fullness, I decided, I, I, I picked up a book. Someone sent me a book called In the Day of Thy Power by Arthur Wallace. Uh, I, I read this book. And this book, it, it, it was so powerful, the way Arthur Wallace wrote in The Day of Thy Power. It transformed me. I mean, really, it was one of those transformations. Every so often, I, I like books, as you know, and I'll read a lot, and I always find truth here and there, but not often do I read a book that, that transforms me, that just impacts me with this kind of power. So I decided to preach a series on revival or spiritual awakenings, because that's what this book was about. In the day of thy power, God moves mightily in the day of his power. And so I decided, I went back uh, to some notes I had from seminary. While in seminary, I took a doctoral seminar, a one-year doctoral seminar on spiritual awakenings. Uh, The professor leading it was Dr. Roy Fish, who was very well known at the time about spiritual awakenings. And doctoral seminars are, are, are not quite like other classes. There are classes where, um, let's say there are 10 of us in a class, then the professor assigns a topic or a book, and you read the book, or you do a, a study on that topic, and then the students give the paper to each other, and they present what's going on. So it's a paper presentation class, basically, and Dr. Fish, the professor kind of guides the discussion, but the students are leading it. So I decided, I, had like two, I have two notebooks full of papers from that year of the history of spiritual awakenings and book reports, and so I went and grabbed my notebooks, I'm, I'm going to get up on the history of it, I'm, I've got a lot of good illustrations here, and, and while I'm going through my notes, I come across a book report on the book, In the Day of Thy Power, And I'm like, oh, somebody wrote a book report on this. And I look down and I'm the one who wrote the book report on this book in the day of thy power. I have no memory uh, of ever reading this book before, of seeing this book before. It definitely was not transformational for me. What was the difference? Now, you could say, well, I bet he didn't even read the book. Could be true. I don't know. You know, when you're presenting all these papers, I mean, you got to read it. At some level. What was the difference? The difference was I was in seminary studying to get a degree, doing all the stuff. It wasn't life to me. It was when I was pastoring fullness, I was at a point of desperation saying, God, I need you. I cannot do this. One, one place I was pretty self-sufficient. One, I was totally like out of my league. God gets our attention, and when he gets our attention, then we're in a position to listen. The angels came, and they gave this message, and this one gives this message. Let me break it down real quick. I'm not going to go through it all, but the angel says, and I'm going to say he, but just go with me on this. He says, this is, it's good news. By the way, this is where we get the term gospel, The gospel, that literally gospel means good news. At its heart, Christmas is good news that should be shared with other people. And it should be, it brings great joy. The good news should cause exceedingly great joy in our lives. This is the word mega, by the way, mega joy. Here's what the angel is saying. This is is great news which is going to bring mega joy in your life. Now, it's hard to make that into bad news, isn't it? But the church has really worked hard at making the good news be bad news. To make the good news that should bring mega joy be condemning that then brings guilt. Hello? I mean, and we need to get back to the gospel that my life has been transformed, and by Jesus coming, it brings great joy to my life. Going on, he says it's for all people; it's not just for one group, but it's for the whole globe. It's today; it's t- this event is happening today. And to me, this is saying this is a specific event in history. This is not some mythological maybe. This is this is a today a today event. It says in Galatians, but when the time had fully come, when the time had fully come, at the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. He was born in the town of David. He, he comes to fulfill the promise of salvation that Jesus had to be a direct descendant in the line of David. He's born in that town. He's a descendant of David. Um, he's a Savior. Savior, which means deliverer. He came to save us from our sins. And, and the only people who need a Savior are those who are sinners. People who never sinned don't need a Savior. We've all sinned. We all need a Savior. He is born, born to you, He's born for each and every one of us. He is Christ, the Messiah. The anointed one, the Lord. Jesus is God and thus demands our total submission and allegiance. He has been born to each and every one of us. This is the prelim to the song. And then we have the song itself. It says in verses 13 and 14, Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host. So, yeah, I love the angels. You know, they're like, wow, one angel who then says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news, great joy. It's going to be for all people. Then it says, suddenly, a great company. So, out of one become, there come many. How, how many? Many, many. A great multitude appears with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Can you imagine the shepherds, you're trying to process, oh wow, this angel, he's telling me there's good news, a Savior's been born. Boom! Glory to God in the highest. And again, it doesn't say that they sang, but it says they were praising God. And I choose to believe that they were singing. Um, It doesn't say they weren't uh, praising can be singing as well as speaking it forth I've told, I've done responsive readings before I find music to the readings much more effective than just the reading itself even though the reading of it is powerful as well nevertheless this heavenly host appears praising God by the way uh, the only place it talks about angels singing is in the book of Revelation uh, you can find places in Revelation where the angels sing. Revelation 5, for instance, talks about uh, the angels sang a song. Um, but joining in with the heavenly hosts around the, the throne. Why did they speak or why did they sing? They sang because God gave them a song. Again, they are his messengers and they are delivering this. But at the same time, they're responding to this good news that's just been proclaimed. They are verifying this great message, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. They sing because God gave them a song. There are times when, especially as I get older, that I start to sing, and the emotion of the song so overwhelms me that I, I, I can't keep singing. I don't know if you've ever, if that happens to you at times where there's just like something about the truth that you're proclaiming combined with the melody of the song, the emotion just chokes me up. N- never used to happen to me when I was young, but the more I age and the more life kind of comes my way and things happen, the more the more number one I want to sing and the more challenging it becomes because praising god is so emotionally overwhelming for me god gives us a song to sing there's an ancient chinese proverb that says something like this the the birds don't sing because they have answers they sing because they have a song god has given us a song to sing in our hearts, and in our lives. And it's the same thing with the angels when they sang glory to God in the highest. But what do they sing of, really? They sing of peace. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. You know, if you start looking at this idea of peace, you may come away with the idea that the angels didn't get it right. Because since the angels sang, I I, I looked up some stuff. There have been different studies on this over the past years. Um, They sang of peace, but there hasn't been peace for really one day in the past 2,100 years over over the earth. There have been 900 wars and 1,600 revolutions. That's an average of one a year for a hundred generations. So wars did not cease after Jesus came. During the same basic period, these 21 years, there have been 8,000 peace treaties broken. Each of these treaties were supposed to last forever, but on the average, a treaty only holds together less than two years. As a matter of fact, I read one guy, his quote was this, something like, Washington has a large assortment, Washington, D.C., has a large assortment of peace monuments. We build one after every war. Why? Because we can't keep peace among nations. Were the angels wrong? I believe peace has come and a war has ended, but not the one we think about. The word peace, by the way, appears in the Bible over 400 times. In the New Testament, it means to join together, to set at one again. To join together, to set at one again. It has the idea of something's been broken, but let's glue it back together. What has been glued back together? What peace are the angels singing about? I think they're singing about peace with God. You know, they're God's messengers. They're not saying peace on earth, you guys are going to all get along. Why can't we all just love one another? Why can't we all just get along? He's saying the angels are singing peace with God has been restored. It says in the book of Isaiah, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Now, many of you are thinking, well, you know, why did I deserve punishment? Well, you deserved punishment because of the sin, the wrongdoing of your heart. We've we've talked, this is the basis of the gospel. That wrongdoing, that sin, has separated us from God. That's one idea, a separation. Okay, God's over here, and I'm over here. I'm separated from from God. It'd be better for me to be with God. You know, I don't want to be separated from God, so I want to come into relationship with him. But if I don't, then I should just be able to go my own way. God, you go your way, I'll go my way. And, you know, we'll have kind of a truce between us. The Bible doesn't paint that picture at all. This separation is really enmity. It is a God. We are at war with God because of sin. It says in the book of Romans, for if when we were God's enemies, and you may say, wait a minute. When was I God's enemy? I, I never wanted to be God's enemy. I never declared war on him. God declared a war on sin. And because of the wrongdoing of your heart, you and He in His holiness, everything that is not within that realm of His righteousness and His holiness uh, puts, puts you at enmity with Him. So when Christ comes as Lord and Savior, Redeemer, He came so that we could have peace with peace with God. It's one of the primary effects of the gospel really. This restored relationship with with God. It says, if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? I don't have time to really unfold this great verse in Romans. It was read to us a little bit earlier at the Advent candle lighting, but what, what Paul is saying is, look, There was a time you were at war with God. And God, through the cross, through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, has restored us into relationship with him. If when you were God's enemy, he loved you so much that he sent his son, now that you're his child, how much more does he even love you? You know, many of us, we think, oh, yeah, God loved me enough to save me. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to get in by the skin of my teeth. I'm just going to make it in. And, and during the meantime, you know, I just got to suffer on this life. It's God over there. I'm over here. Look, Paul's saying anything but that is true. If when we were an enemy, God loved us enough to die for us, how much more, he's saying, that we're reconciled, will we be saved through his life? We need to get a bigger image of this peace of God in which we now stand. This love, this life, this grace. Hey, by the way, what did you do to get here? What did you do to get to peace with God? Basically, you did nothing. God did everything. Really, what happened is you said yes to him. Yes, I want to receive the peace. Yes, I want to to walk with him. Now that you're there, what do you got to do to stay there? Well, this is a trick question, isn't it? If you go to church very long, you're going to learn a lot of things you got to do to stay there. I got to give, I got to go, I got to serve, I got to be good, I can't drink anymore, I can't, I can't, I'm not going to even go down the list because it's so long and some of you will be offended by the list. Listen, you didn't do anything to get here and you don't have to do anything to stay here except rely on his grace. Now, he's going to change you. You're not going to do all the same stuff you did, but you're not doing it in order to stay here. You're doing it as a response of love to him. Legalism is not a peaceful way to live. Legalism is like creating a treaty that can't be obeyed. Hello? And it'll just rob you of joy and peace. As ironic as it sounds... Trying to do the right thing to get God's approval will actually steal your joy and your peace. Instead, rely on the grace of God. Because when you do, then you'll have the peace of God in your life. The peace of God will be in your life. Let me just say this. One of the things we don't have much of is the peace of God in our lives. We don't have this peace that transcends all understanding. Most of our hearts aren't guarded. Why is that? Why is that? Why are we so stinking stressed out all the time? Why is there such a lack of peace within us? Why are we like striving and not ever achieving? Because we're striving. Instead of resting in Him and letting Him direct our path, we're we're working it. Working it, baby, and when 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 work becomes hard, or even, I'll just I'll speak out of my own experience. I know none of you none of you are like me. You're all better than me. So, but when I work really hard, and things don't go my way, I get really frustrated. And and if I work really hard. And someone gets in my way, I am not very nice to them. Now, I'm not overtly evil. I'm not going to run them over with my car. I'm not going to. But I am, there is a thing in me that rises up and starts accusing them. How dare they get in my way? What is their problem? What is their deal? And then I start speaking badly about them in my heart. Now, I know you're not like this, so just pray for me. But this thing just gets in me, and I lose all peace. And then rather than loving a person that Jesus died for, I start judging them. I start, do- get out my way. You know, if you just get out my way, I'm going to be good. We're going to all be happier if you'll just all do what I tell you to do. You're the same way I know you are. Some worse in other things and others less so, but we all have that in us. Why? Because we, we don't rest in what God has done in the finished work of the cross in our lives. We don't really take the message, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests to heart. We need the peace of God because then it will lead us to peace with others. Because he made peace. His desire is for us to love one another. To live at peace with one another. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with every man, the Word of God says. Live at peace. Listen, we can't even live at peace with those who live in our house. I thought that would be funnier, but it's not because it's so true. You know, who do you live at who do you have trouble living at peace with? Probably your spouse. Definitely you're chilling. I mean, really, you, your children, you, you, I mean, really, the people just in your close circle, you have trouble. Then you get outside of that and you have less grace for them and less grace. Why? Because we are not resting in the peace. I know, some. we have, my children are wonderful. At least the two that are, are here today. And uh, the rest, we'll judge them later. But nonetheless, We need the peace of God to rule in our hearts. Because when it does, we have peace with God, we have the peace of God, and we have peace with others. And then the good news will will shine from our lives. This message, this message is good news. Don't make it bad news. Don't try and make it, just let it flow in you. Receive the gloria of the angels in your heart and in your life. And you do it by receiving Jesus. You do it by not just receiving the words that they spoke, but you do it by receiving the person of Jesus. What did the shepherds do after they got this message? The angels left them? You can't you see these guys just standing around this field. Now here it's kind of like, dang, that was good. We just had angels. And then just sit down and do nothing? No, they... They went. They went. Let's go to Bethlehem and see. And again, when I first read this younger, I thought, wow, it's a long journey. They had to go a long way to get to Bethlehem. They just had to go over a little hill. You know, it's just like right next to each other. I mean, Bethlehem and Jerusalem are only six miles apart. And their field is just like in a suburb of Bethlehem. You know, it'd be like almost, it's almost as close as saying, hey, let's let's walk down to Chick-fil-A. Down at the bottom of the hill. Let's go see. Jesus is Chick-fil-A. Or, I know that's silly, but it's about that close. So they get, they, okay, let's, let's go and see what's happened, which the Lord, the angels, told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger, just like the angels said. Can you imagine him, too? It didn't say which manger. But I'm sure there's only one baby in one manger at this time. I seen him. They went out, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. This lowly group of outcasts says, what the heck? I'm going to tell everybody I know about what I've seen. We saw angels, we saw the baby, let's tell everybody. Mary, at the same time, is treasuring up all these things in her heart, trying to figure out what's going on. We studied Mary last week. You can look at that passage. The shepherds, what did they do? How many of the shepherds became apostles? How many of the shepherds became religious leaders? How many of the shepherds became kings? How many of the shepherds became pastors or teachers? or How many of the shepherds became anything other than shepherds? We don't know. It doesn't say that they ever accomplished. Wouldn't you think that... Wouldn't it be a great story? You know, one of the apostles, yeah, I was one of the shepherds that came. Martin Luther says something like this: the shepherds, what did they do after they saw Jesus? They went back to the sheep. And it was a good thing for the sheep that they did. They went back to their lives, but they went back to their lives transformed. Now, here's the gospel: the good news. God may do something, but he may just send you back into your home, into your workplace, into your school. Because why? Because that's where the gospel needs to go. The good news needs to be proclaimed in that place. Don't don't sit back and think, you know what? I've got the gospel. I've got the good news. When God gives me something big, I'm here, God. I'm ready. I'll go take it on. But rather, God is saying, be faithful with where you are. Live out this life of peace. If you're a businessman, work your business according to the glory of God. Let the gospel transform your mom or a dad or businesswoman. Whatever the case may be, do it to the glory of God. Because God's glory, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men in whom his favor rests, should be the message we're proclaiming every moment of every day. God has given us a song. My question is this. Everyone today here is singing a song somewhere. The question is not if you're singing, it's what you're singing. What is the song that's coming out of your heart today? What is the song, the melody that the world hears you? singing. I pray that like that first Christmas, there'll be a song in our heart that when we proclaim it, it changes everything around us. Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your power and presence in our lives. We thank you for uh, the truth that you didn't come to the most educated, the most upright, the most powerful but instead, Lord, you came to proclaim this good news of great joy, which is for all people. To um, a marginalized group, an outcast group, and Lord, may we too may we we understand, Lord, we don't have to be something in order to hear from you. We just have to be available and willing. May we also realize that the message we proclaim is for all people. May we go out from this place sharing and singing the good news to the world around us. Lord, we thank you that your love, it is not held back. It is, it is in many senses reckless in that it just is distributed to the people around. Lord, we thank you. May our hearts be changed in your presence and in your midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to worship.